Is this a podcast yet? I'm recording. Are you recording? I am recording. <laughs> Are you recording? <laughs> Jeez. I'm just checking in because I, I, I can't really tell if we're actually doing a podcast or if we're talking or if that's the same thing. You want to know something I've been really into on podcasts recently? We're in podcast mode now, by the way. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> something, because I just started listening to this new podcast that also has this, and then there's another podcast I listen to that has this. It's it's like when it's a podcast with co-hosts who just like talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. When one of them has a bell that they ring when the other does something, I like that. <laughs> it... <laughs> Are you at all? I mean, you don't listen to as many podcasts, so no, I don't. You probably I, I haven't, haven't heard come that. across this, um, <laughs> but it's like a thing on a I, on the two the two I'm thinking of. One of them I don't actually know what the bell is for, or if it's even like a thing because I've only just started listening to this podcast. But so the one I, I'm more familiar with is Accidental Tech Podcast. Um, one of the guys has a bell that he rings whenever whenever one of the other guys says file system because he's a nerd and talks about file systems a lot. Uh, All right. So the first time he says it in every podcast, you hear the bell and it it happens every episode because he's a nerd. And I like that a lot. And then I just started listening to Do By Friday, which is a hilarious podcast, by the way, highly recommended. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were ringing a bell for some reason. I don't know why, but I just like I just like hearing people on podcasts ringing bells. It's a thing. So if I get a bell within the next few episodes, uh, don't don't be surprised. Are you going to, like, ring it when my chair squeaks? I don't know. I need to figure out a thing. Maybe, like, when you talk about stats or something, because that tends to happen a lot. <laughs> but that's going to be odd. Like, I'll figure out why you're ringing that bell very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a secret. I just want to ring the bell. <laughs> yeah, because, like, if you do something really subtle, like if I make a certain kind of noise or if I uh, say a very common word. That would be funny. It's like every... I, I, like, do the bell whenever you do something, but I don't tell you what. But maybe just, like, once per episode. Like, the first time you do something per episode. And, and then eventually out what you're I Yeah, and eventually you're going to figure out what the bell is, and then once you figure it out, I change it to something else. That's an idea. <laughs> so speaking of bells and stats, um, <laughs> probably one of the funniest things that I get all the time, um, like, you know, like, bell curve distributions or normal distributions everything's a bell one, curve right one of the funniest things one of the funniest <laughs> things i see when people try to describe a distribution to me is they'll say something along the lines of like it's a skewed bell curve <laughs> and i just like pause and think like a skewed bell like i i don't know what bells these people have seen in their lives <laughs> But most bells that I usually would encounter are symmetric. And it really actually makes me want to, like, my my sister uh, does uh, ceramics. And mm-hmm. I, like, want to, like, commission her to, like, make a asymmetric bell. <laughs> see how and it works. Be, and, I, like, if I ever see that sort of description, I'd be like, I bet this is the first time you've seen one of these in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not, well, what is that kind of distribution called? Like, I know, I can picture what the person would be describing with that, but that's not. No, I mean, it's it's not a bell curve because it, have it a doesn't name? look like a yeah. bell. <laughs> um, <laughs> Does that even have a name? Yeah, you, you would call it a skewed distri- like distribution gen- in general. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's many different kinds of skewed distributions. It's like, it's like a unimodal 
distribution that isn't right, a bell that, curve basically can be described as a yeah, skewed I mean, bell curve kind of yeah i mean you yeah so unimodal though could be very sharp not necessarily like in a curve manner that's um, true so yeah unimodal can be a lot of different i think unimodal is a little more general than what i'm picturing mm-hmm. but um yeah that's a, along the same idea a single peak or a unimodal so uh, you are listening to the Layer by Layer podcast with the Kit Layer Clement by Layer podcast. Ant- <laughs> just Kit just Clement. edit it so that's in sync. It's fine. I can do that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> subreddit dot com slash subreddit dot com slash layer by layer dot subreddit dot com um, is our yeah subreddit. you know the link by now right yeah. Give us feedback. We are hungry for feedback. Isn't it kind of yeah. funny that we, we feed on the feedback? Um, Yummy. Literally. You keep us alive with your posts. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's been, yeah, and it's been fun interacting with people, too. Lots yeah. Of, uh, lots of good thoughts I've seen, too. We, we actually got some really good comments today, because we just released the last episode relatively recently. Ha, 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 um, ha, ha. I mean, we did. <laughs> we recorded it a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, you, know, you know what I've noticed is I almost always tend to post the episodes on a Friday, not mm-hmm. intentionally at all, but it just kind of happens because that it's like I'll often be like going out of town or something on Friday, um, so I won't be at my computer to edit. So like I feel the pressure on Thursday to edit it, and then I do it. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't get it done, you have to like wait another three days to get it out. Yeah, right. It's like I could have easily done it Wednesday, but I don't actually have the pressure to do it until Thursday, so I end up editing Thursday and releasing Friday. So, Mm -hmm. speaking of days, today's date is Tuesday, January 29th. That's correct. And our logo was designed by Sarah Cook, which we mention at the start of every episode because it's so dang good. That's right. Cool. Ding. (laughs) Follow up. (laughs) Awkward silence. Uh... That's my specialty. (laughs) It's our specialty, but we cut it all out. Except for that one time when, like, you thought someone was knocking on my door, and you said, come in, and then I thought that was because someone came into your room. Uh, (laughs) Sophie was listening to the old episodes, and she just got to the, or, like, um, she said that was one of her favorite parts, so maybe we should do that more often. (laughs) The silence. She likes it when we're not talking. (laughs) Oh, the silence was her favorite part. (laughs) No, she, she liked the the interaction but yeah <laughs> sometimes silence is my favorite part mostly because i'm like you know one of those people that can't stand listening to their own vo- voices when they listen to it being recorded oh yeah i've completely gotten used to my own voice by now just after making <laughs> True, so you've many done, videos you've done and, the, yeah yeah you, you've done the video grind a, a lot longer than yeah. i have I, I it also didn't take me very long to get used to it like i feel like i'm just kind of abnormal in that respect like almost everyone i talk to says they like even if they've done a ton of videos and stuff they still can't stand their own voice it just sounds like my voice to me i don't know maybe my voice is like in a certain register that gets picked up really well by microphones or something i don't know that's weird because my voice does not sound anything on recording is like what i imagine it to be Mm -hmm. i don't know (laughs) (laughs) overtones are weird man so we have follow-up um oh oh, yeah we do (laughs) yes we do so (laughs) 
lay, lay yeah. this on me softly, Andrew. Yeah. Um, so, Kit. <laughs> yeah. This is a little prediction you made and then also convinced me to make. Yeah. That <laughs> the world record that would be broken last would be, like, out of all the world records, the cubing world records would be the 18 FMC single. I mean... Kit, Kit what is the current FMC single <laughs> world record? Uh... Second place is 18. Uh-huh. Tied. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, okay. Legitimately, if I would if I could go back in time, like it, it like go back in time and assume that like we would like re- redo the past 2 weeks, I would pick mm-hmm. it again. <laughs> no yeah. no joke. I do like, you mean it, like I, it, redo this in 2 weeks as in like like change the scrambles at that competition or something yes yes yeah i mean like re-simulate the like between last podcast and now i would mm-hmm. pick the same thing like yeah it, it, it seems it's like a one in a million chance but it happened i know right it's it's ridiculous like it's hilarious that that actually happened to me yes so for anyone who's not aware harry savage <laughs> at the great british blind off which is a competition uh like a week or two ago um got a 17 single solve at that competition sebastiano tronto also got an 18 and robert yao got a 19 on that same scramble so just to put in context how ridiculous that scramble was um yeah there were like six different ways to get an optimal 17 and they all started with the same domino reduction which was in like six moves Uh, yep if you don't know a lot about fnc just know that that is crazy like that never happens um yeah, and then even and then even once that does happen, for it to have an eleven move continuation is fairly rare. Um, yeah, absolutely. like most dominoes are in the twelve to fourteen range, I'd say continuation mm. after the domino. At be- um, yeah, at best. Yeah, so just a very very lucky solve overall. Um, very unpredictable or unlikely for it to happen. Totally. Uh, so I wanted to bring up, uh, and, and yeah, we're, by the way, we said we would do a record check in every time a record is broken to see if our predictions held up. So we're doing that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, my 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 backup prediction still holding true. <laughs> Wh- which was that? I actually literally don't remember, but I just know that that was the only world record broken. I I think we was down between clock and two by two. Right, we were talking about average for that one though. Yeah, yeah. So we, I I think I predicted clock for average. You predicted two by two for average. So we'll keep we'll keep yeah. an eye on that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll keep doing these record check-ins whenever a record is broken. Uh, I think that's also just a good thing to do in general on the podcast. Make it more of like a news show that comes out like two weeks after news, news happens. That sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> Not if we make it exciting. World uh, record check-in. I also I just mean, listen. Like speaking of podcasts I listen to, I listen to an episode of the Number File podcast with Cliff Stoll hmm. uh, as the guest. And he's like the world's most enthusiastic human. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm channeling that spirit a little bit. Uh, mathematicians can have that weird kind of energy yeah like he's they like, get excited he's... over things that nobody else possibly could yeah <laughs> yeah so we'll just channel that it'd be like world record check-in 17 <laughs> fmc single it Break happened in my heart uh so i wanted i wanted to ask you do you think that the 17 will be tied before any other world record will be broke or like mm. what do you think will happen first every other world record will be broken or the 17 will be tied Every other world record will be broken. I thought that would be your position. Yeah, I've 100%. decided 
for the sake of conflict to say that the world record will be tied before they are all broken. Ah, <laughs> uh, you contrarian. <laughs> also, part I mean, of that I is... Already, I, I already said that if I could go back in time, I would pick yeah. 18 again. Yeah, when, when you said that, I was like, oh, I know how he's going to answer this next part. <laughs> yeah, it was it, like, it would be weird if I didn't say that. Right, yeah. Um, a little contradictory. I, I actually think there's a okay chance it could be broken. I don't know. Um, uh, Harry Savage is really good at fewest moves. Yeah. Like, he kind of messed up some other solves well, in that competition, but uh, then he, like, posted in few, the fewest moves Facebook group that he had a 20, like, a sub-24 average of 12, mm-hmm. which is, like, how do you even do that? And it's not, and, like, it's an average, so, like, dropping the yeah. best and worst solve. So that 17 didn't even, like, pull it down. <laughs> but that's the thing, too, is that an average is not predictive of singles. Right. Yeah, I know, but I'm just, like, he's so good. Yeah, no, know. he is. I'm not not denying that. It's just that the opportunity for even doing that is ridiculously low. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's about a third of the time you can even it's even possible. But right. I don't know. I'm I'm like I'm talking. About, I'm on a different subject right now. I'm in awe of his skill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I do want to a... point out though. I just realized that those two decisions do not have to agree. Pick going back in time and still picking eighteen uh, is different than with the question you asked because. I had to pick. I would have to pick one particular event in that case, and in this case, I'm, is it? Do you think that the seventeen will be tied, or every other world record will be broken? Is basically that against the field? Yeah, but is so, it the same thing as picking the eighteen against the field? No, because um, the, so for example, if I think that like there's a thirty percent chance that the eighteen would have survived the longest, right. Uh-huh. Or that, like, basically, if, there, if I think there's a 30% chance that um, the 17 is going to be, like, no one will tie the 17 before every world record is broken, mm-hmm. then there's a 70% chance, then, that I should go for, le- that, like, some other world record uh, uh, will, be, okay. will not be broken. I so see it's what like you a, mean. When I'm taking, I'm basically taking every other event combined, where in the other situation I have to pick only one event. Right. Okay, I see. Yeah. So yeah, I, those that don't necessarily have to agree, but I'm st- I would still take that nobody will tie to seventeen. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like choosing a plurality versus, like, in, yeah. in when it's like when you're forced to choose an event, it's like pick the one, pick the event that you think is the most likely to survive the longest, even if that is not a greater than fifty percent thing. Exactly. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah i i understand now but yeah. let me i want to commend harry savage more because he's really good <laughs> yeah no uh-huh. it, i i i i wholly agree i'm kind of i'm only like low-key pissed just because we did that topic last episode <laughs> but it was so um, funny <laughs> i mean thankfully we like talked about it and moved along from that very quickly <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm not sure if it's worse that, um, like, it would have been worse if we had debated about that for so long, and I mm-hmm. would have just been dragged in, in the mud as, like, <laughs> everyone was listening to that podcast. Yeah. Um, or that I got you to agree with me, and we just, t- like, tabled I, it yeah, because it was it so ridiculous. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. But, anyways, about Harry. Um, yeah. No, I mean, there was a long time when I was, like, I am not the best FMCer in the world, but I could like pull my weight against any FMCer in the world. I don't think I can compete with him at this point. Yeah, fair. 
<laughs> and and there are a few other people like that too not just to say him i don't think i'm i haven't practiced for a long time i'm definitely not in that same tier anymore if i ever was but yeah it's there's him and a few other people are just like they're getting so good i'm i'm yeah 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 and it's it's interesting because for a long time i always felt like fmc was an event you didn't really need to practice like you just kind of knew how to do it Mm -hmm. or you didn't then i stopped practicing because i felt that way and then i got really terrible official results (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah now i at least try to practice somewhat regularly (laughs) so another topic of follow-up we were we talked last episode about uh having like how to like ephemeral events was the topic and like how to bring in new events and stuff and one of the things you said was or one of the arguments that you presented i don't know if I mean, you did say it, but not to necessarily present it as entirely like your only point of view was that like if other events are held at like a world championship without three by three, it won't get any kind of like sponsorship or money or anything. And I, I had an idea. What if we do like we do worlds every year? So instead of every other year, like we do now. And, and I know you're going to come at me with all sorts of like logistical things because you're <laughs> deeply involved with the organization of stuff. Let me be ideal for a second um, okay. or idealized. Um so we do worlds every year and we okay. have three by three every year, but the other events we can like rotate in and out and stuff. So that way we can have a larger catalog of events. We still have three by three to bring all the media attention and the sponsorship attention, but we can float other events in. So it's like, oh, there's the five blind championship every like two or three years or something. So we can just fit a ton more events into that worlds and have every and have them like competed in and have them get the attention and stuff. And, like, we already do Worlds every other year, so it wouldn't be a reduction that much in terms of, like, how often you get to compete in a big championship for your event. Um, but we could fit more events in. I don't hate the idea. <laughs> I, I mean, the thing is, uh, I, let me just say, first, I've never organized a Worlds before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't <laughs> really have a sense for what that's like. But I do organize Nationals yeah. every year for the past uh uh five years now or ish four to five years so i have like experience with running major competitions at least the thing is we're the only i'd say cubing major that's every year every continental championship and worlds is every other year and it's very tiring for us to run nats every year Mm -hmm. incredibly tiring (laughs) um yeah it like uh, you're in the the midst of some of that right now huh what's that you're in the midst of some of that right now huh uh (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i'm just so glad it's finally announced Mm -hmm. this last month was absolute hell and i can actually talk about that uh later in this episode now that everything's kind of all settled to some extent Mm -hmm. but on the surface level for now it's very tiring running nats every year just because it's really difficult to dedicate time to do a venue search for the a competition that's comes after the one that hasn't even happened yet Mm -hmm. and typically we just don't because we don't have the time energy or resources to be doing that and it really handicaps us when we start doing venue searches uh less than a year from the event is that the sort of thing that could be like in the future developed into like subcommittees and stuff to like we're we're working on that currently yeah okay that's what i thought yeah, it's the th- U.S. Nationals has uh, really not had a history of strong leadership, from what I can tell. 
Mm. I mean, Tyson Mao was kind of the de, the de facto leader of the whole thing mm-hmm. um, until Worlds 2013 when he stepped down. But in many ways, in many ways, a lot of the tasks were just kind of getting done by yeah. other people. Like, uh, for example, Tim Reynolds has done scheduling for nationals since 2010, every single year. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And to be quite honest, like the scheduling before then was very haphazard and it didn't really need to be anything meticulous because, you know, 2009 and earlier, they barely, they never got to a hundred competitors and they might've barely eclipsed it in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't really need to be super meticulous back then. And what was kind of interesting is that kind of in this transition era, like Tim kind of kind of suddenly emerged as like the de facto leader not because like he um wanted i think to be the leader but because (laughs) he just knew so much about how the competition was structured that everything kind of just started to run through him Mm -hmm. um because you know a lot of stuff about how nationals works is based on the schedule right and you know if you want to do something new or try something different or try to figure out just the logistics of anything regarding nationals it just kind of had to go through tim that's a lot of a lot of work and a lot of pressure on right him. yeah and that's was kind of the issue is when tyson stepped down nobody really stepped up to do pr- like the actual project management role mm-hmm. basically what i'm trying to pick paint is a picture of the u.s nationals organizers really just kind of being this amorphous bubble that <laughs> kind of just evolves the best it can over time, but never really had a plan to really set things into like committees and subcommittees and groups to get things done in an effective way. And I think last year and especially this year, we are finally kind of formalizing this sort of committee approach and having a much better sense of division of responsibilities. I mean, We've attempted to do this many times in the past, but things fall through the cracks or, you know, there's, we don't have people holding others responsible for certain things. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's good to know that at least there are steps being made in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. But going back to the original topic of your every other year world's idea. um, Oh, I've totally forgot we were talking about that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. right? I I have the worst ability to tangent as I now go on a tangent about my ability to tangent. Um, no. Um, oh, that but, reminds me about tangents. Yeah. Do you know that tangent is the sign of a function or, or the sign of a the, over the cosine? That's interesting. Yeah. I'm taking a comic class. <laughs> um, so the interesting thing about your ideas just that it would really require a step up in the process of doing this but one of the things that worlds wouldn't have that nats does have is that nats the team is the same roughly every year Mm -hmm. you know we we add some new people we lose some old people but you know it's roughly the same team the world's team is getting passed around across the world that could work to the benefit since like it, you could have new people working on the one like two years out and not having to worry about the one this year. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it has to all be centralized within the WCA, which is a challenge for the people who have to centralize it. So it comes with ups and downs there. But that's, that's just from a 
like a logistical perspective since you were concerned about me having logistical issues. That's <laughs> all I could really think of. In terms of the idea itself, I think it's not a bad one, to be quite honest. I think the one concern I would have is that, um, you know, if Worlds became, say, like, only like 12 events every year or something like that, mm-hmm. um, that maybe you just, you kind of lose the the glamour of the event. Like, you don't get a awesome worlds like every other year but like a sub awesome worlds every year maybe Uh, i i think of it kind of like the summer and winter olympics almost Hmm. like you have olympics every two years Mm -hmm. uh, and they have different completely different events at them Um, right so that that was kind of the context context i was thinking of it in and just kind of take that idea and, and apply it to cubing but of course, you still need to have three by three every year because otherwise, no one cares <laughs> about the. Event. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. There, there can't be a pure disjoint set here. Yeah, but you know, with that analogy, it's 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 kind of an interesting concept. The weird thing is that, like, with winter and summer Olympics, like the the actual pools of competitors that attend those two events, like, oh yeah, the, the, that's that's almost more analogous to like having the Rubik's Cube World Championships on uh, even years and the Chess World Championships on odd years. Yeah, I see what you mean with that now, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like, the, the pools of competitors for those, for Winter and Summer Olympics are essentially non-overlapping. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could find some overlap somewhere, but it's minimal. But in the same thing, I'm sure there are cubers who are very good at chess, too. From that perspective, I don't know if it's necessarily the best idea, just because you're pulling from the same base, and if you're going to gather all these people together, why not just give them what they want? Of course, if we add a bunch of ephemeral events, which would be the biggest plus of this outcome, is that we could have two big worlds, but people just might be disappointed that their favorite set of events isn't fully represented. Yeah, or maybe we could, I don't know, it... I was trying to think of like a way we could make the events different enough that like you wouldn't have that much overlap between them. Mm-hmm. But I really can't think of a way. Like the only way I could think of is like do all quiet events at one, but then that's just a much smaller worlds. Yeah. I mean, it, that would kind of fit the mold of like a winter summer Olympics because you have different at least skill sets that are being challenged at different yeah. kinds of events. I don't know though. <laughs> it's still kind of weird. Yeah, I, I don't know. At some point, we do need to add, like, a decathlon event, though, that involves, like, shooting. Just, <laughs> like It's like you do a two through seven relay and then, like, shoot some targets and, like, go down a hill or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's reasonable. <laughs> it definitely fits in with our event list. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's a pretty natural, like, like oh, I, I know, it would be perfect. So you have blind going on in one section. Uh, across from the shooting range uh yeah it just seems it's they naturally go together can we do dodge cube too oh yeah that's in the middle okay and and you have to like and you have to like retrieve the cube like the scrambled cubes and like put the soft cubes down uh like behind all the targets in the shooting range so you also have to like dodge bullets is is dodge cube now part of the decathlon yes Wait, okay, hold on. I have a new idea. So we have like the like the winter summer Olympics thing, but then we have like the dexterity cubing events, which is like, you know, all the ones we have now. And then we have like the like the macro events, which are like dodge cubing and like cube throwing and <laughs> cube shooting and 
like cube yoga. I, I don't know. It's it's a thing. Cube yoga. <laughs> Can you do da- like downward cube? Yeah, it's that's uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> That's a. Can you can you describe uh, the downward cube position? Yeah. So you um, so you you make like an angle with both your elbows, uh, uh-huh. and then you put them on the ground. So you have like a ninety degree uh, angle between your elbows, or like between your forearms and your back arms. Uh huh. <laughs> are you following along? I expect you to be doing this, but both you, oh, Kit, I'm, and I'm the listener doing are doing this help. right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you put your elbows, so you like lock All your right. elbows ninety degrees. That's important. All right, All right. Uh, locked elbows at ninety degrees. Um, so Visual that, that's... demonstrations are great for podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, why you have to do it at home if you want to follow along. So okay, that, that gives fo- you the cube. Along. Now we need the downward part because, like, the ninety degree angle. You know, that's that's a essential okay. part of cubes. Of course, you only okay. have two of them because you only have two arms. A cube okay, has so three. I got, I got a cube. Do I, ha- I have a cube in each hand right now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, and they're, what you're going to do 90 degree angles. Am I supposed to be like bent over or something or not yet? Not yet. Oh, okay. Um, so you're going to like do like, are they solved cubes? They are solved. Okay. Yeah. Do one move on them. So they're both plus twos. Okay. Uh, and you're going to set those down, keeping your arms, your forearms and hands flat on the ground. Set, set so you should, down. you should be like on the ground. Oh, uh, on the ground. Yeah. I missed that instruction. <laughs> I forgot that part. <laughs> yeah. So you're on the ground uh, and then you're like going to wrap my knees. No, you're like on on your stomach. Um, on oh, my stomach. Oh god. Yeah, and then you want to wrap your legs around like over the back of your head. Wrap and... my legs over the back of my head. Yeah, okay. and then right, and then it. like and then like do a turn so that you undo that plus two and that that's so got it's it. like you're yeah it's like you're using your feet in your hands at the same time yeah. and it, yeah yep. it's yoga the cube yoga downward cube. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whew. All right. Yeah. All right. I think I'm ready for this. This This is a good idea. Yeah. Uh, your Your world championship will be in 2020. All right. I feel like I lost five pounds already. Uh, so, Kit, why was Nats so late to be announced? That our notes just say why was Nats so late, but Nats itself was not late, but it was late Nats. to be announced. Well, it, it it is later than normal. That's um, true. So I could actually answer both questions. Uh, in one story, um, why is it later than normal and announced later than normal? I don't want to get into too much of the details, but sort of the, the, the gist of the story of what happened is with the Baltimore Convention Center, we had been discussing things with them since October. Um, why it took, say, three months for them to agree to let us give them money to use their space <laughs> is beyond me. But effectively what happened is uh, this was the first year we tried something new with uh, getting Nats venues, and we kind of learned some downsides of it. Uh, We had an open applications process where um, people could send us venue leads um, for nationals. In early October, we had a meeting, and we chose that our first option was Baltimore. Mm -hmm. So we began to work with the venue, but the issue is with... Them with these people getting leads. What has what seems to have happened in this case is that they typically don't want to work with like you know five or six people in getting an event to be announced. But you know the applicants all had reached out to the venue first about this event. But the people that needed to sign 
was us. Mm -hmm. The problem was I had tried to try to establish myself as the new main point of contact with these people. They would not respond to me. It's really weird. Like, yeah, it was bizarre considering that we needed to, we were the ones that were going to sign the contract. You would think they'd have a system for that or something. Like you'd think they'd, they'd have dealt with this before. You sure would. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, just hand, handing off contact to someone else is a routine thing to do. Right. But for some reason, whenever I tried to contact them about this sort of stuff, just was not getting responses. Whenever Saranch, who was the main venue contact, whatever contact them, they would con- they would respond to him like almost immediately. What the heck? Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, this whole thing was like kind of ridiculous um so like i eventually just kind of gave up and told all right saranch you're in charge um like it's just not worth my time at this point and tim tried to also get an edge and he kind of discovered the same thing it's just that they didn't want to work with him they wanted to work with saranch okay basically what happened is the other reason that was this was delayed is as you know this is a a four-day competition this year if you notice from the dates yeah um that's something new and when we asked for people to submit uh, applications for nationals, um, we didn't know what the format was going to be, and we decided that we wanted to try the four-day f- format if possible. Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea is before we had staff comp on Thursday and then three days of competing, but we've run into an issue where our staff are too, have grown to be good at too many things, and they make a lot of they make a lot of round twos and finals. We have this problem now where, you know, we can get everyone's rounds, round ones done, but then say like three by three round two comes around, we have nobody to staff it. That's a problem. I mean, yeah, it makes sense that basically all of staff is probably going to make three by three round two because staff tends to be the people who are more into it in general. Yeah, well, and it, that wasn't the case like five or six years ago, but it definitely is now, which is interesting that it's kind of shifted that way. Which, okay, so the new format we kind of realized in the past couple of years has been a struggle because we've had to hold, like, impromptu staff comps during lunch for, like, 3 by 3 round two. And a few other rounds where there's just too many staff that can't actually run the competition mm-hmm. <laughs> because they have to compete. Yeah, this was so this was a new idea where instead of having one big staff comp, um, we make the staff comp the morning of all, the competition every day. Roughly between like 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., you do all of the rounds then that you would do later that day, except for final rounds where like the scrambles are the same for everyone. Okay. Yeah. So by doing that, we're reducing kind of the load on us in terms of uh, like rescheduling people when staff make round like second rounds and they had assignments or things like that. Yeah. I have my doubts oh. about how that'll work, but that's not oh, what do we're it, really talking. I mean, because doing a staff comp every day. Yeah, because it seems like the startup time, just from my experience of staffing two nets, um, like mm-hmm. the startup time for staff comps seemed to be one of the largest parts of like slowing down staff comp. So I don't know if having that every single day is going to be a good idea, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, we're we're interested to see how it goes, but we think it'll still be a benefit overall just to not have to deal with the round two headaches that we yeah, had yeah. in other parts of the competition. 
we're we're gonna we're gonna learn something this year i think for sure mm-hmm. uh worst case the whole competition's a little delayed but it, it's that's a lot <laughs> worse than you were gonna say like worst case the whole competition just needs to be thrown out and we <laughs> just start <over. laughs> thrown out <laughs> no just that it'll be delayed a little bit but um at least it'll be delayed in sync which is a lot easier to deal with than like one stage falling behind or something yeah but anyways um so the fact that we changed this to a four-day event changed the, the way that people ha- had requested, you know, the venue because they were requesting a three-day event plus a staff comp. Okay. Um, and it really changes that much? like. Well, staff comp, it has worked out in the past few years that we can use the main venue. Mm-hmm. But it's often cheaper to book, like, a large side room to do the staff comp in. Mm, okay. Because you don't have to have, you know, everyone there. You just need the staff. Yeah. So it does change a little bit how you would book the event. Uh, And as a result of this, we kind of had to go back and say, hey, we need to get a change on like the days that we're requesting the space. Mm -hmm. So they had to get us a whole new contract set up. And apparently by the time that this whole message actually made it through to them, um, they had told us like mid to late November, like we'll get you a contract based on this request soon for a four day event. And then we just heard, got nothing after that. Mm. Apparently what happened is the city of Baltimore booked every breakout room in the entire space. Whoa. For Thursday. For what? For the Thursday of the, of the competition. Well, did you know what they booked it for? Any idea? No. They just, like, so the, we, we could have, like, the expo hall, like, the big room was not the issue, but we had nowhere to do like um blind events uh vendors things of that nature so yeah that was a giant problem huh isn't there like brony con going on at the same time or something isn't that i saw people posting about that well the so um (laughs) those were not the the dates that we announced it for were not the dates we were trying to go for originally okay we were originally trying to go for the 25th to the 28th of july so this, the city of Baltimore probably wasn't, like, booking everything for BronyCon. No. Because it was the 25th of <laughs> July that they... Just the 25th of July that they booked every side room out. Ah, uh, okay. Well, you know, maybe um, they maybe they were planning BronyCon on just the 25th of July. Because, you know, yeah, like you know the, city of, the city of Baltimore is, like, government. They're really into My Little Pony. Yeah. So, like, yeah, they sense. were doing some huge big city event with probably just a lot of small meeting rooms or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but um, we went through this whole process. We were trying to, like, challenge the room, uh-huh. basically, because they hadn't signed for it. They just reserved it. So nothing was signed for, and we attempted, like, to challenge them for the room. Like, basically, it forced them to sign for the room in the next, like, span of time, mm-hmm. or else we gained the reservation. And they signed for it. <laughs> so that was a little silly. There were ways we could have worked around it. Like, we could have had Thursday have no blindfolded and fewest moves on it, but that was really not a great idea just because the way we wanted to schedule it, we wanted to make it so that, you know, majority of people probably can't make it on Thursday. Mm -hmm. It's a tough day to make for a competition, um, you know, for families that work jobs. and Yeah, so you want to put the less popular events then. Exactly, right. So we wanted to have, like, we because it would force us to move other more popular events in there, and it would have been a giant waste of time and hard to reschedule for the other days. Yeah. So 
we nixed that plan. Um, they had opening the next weekend, which wasn't ideal. We don't really like going that late in the summer, but it, mm-hmm. given that it's a world's year and we didn't want to go, well, we really couldn't do a week before or after worlds because many of the Nats organizers are going to be at worlds. Yeah. And, you know, need a, a <laughs> some time to like actually organize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, you know, given that we couldn't get our desired weekend, it was the only thing that worked. And once we had that established, the actually the only way we were even able to get their attention to get this established is we had to actually send an email to like higher ups in the convention center to be like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Then they finally put like that put a fire under the sales team to be like, hey, sign these people, please. (laughs) (laughs) Like like they've been trying to book with us for three months. And how how do we not have a contract? Yeah. So that kind of pushed the things along, and that's how we finally got to get a contract in January. Uh, two months after they promised us a contract. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So um, lessons learned. Um, consider uh, just doing the venue contact leads ourselves, <laughs> going back to doing that again, mm-hmm. which I don't really like just because it's a it's, lot of work. I don't know. It's just... It feels like this 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 feels like it should be an outlier, right? That's that's my opinion too. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels like that this should not be the norm, but somehow I feel like it's going to be the norm. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, there's also going to be a 17 at FMC next week. <laughs> yeah. No. <sighs> well, um regardless, it's finally announced and I'm exasperated about dealing with gnats at this point uh tim tim did tim did the lord's work um (laughs) um he wrote the email to the uh managers there that like really pushed things along (laughs) it's also tough for me to do anything for like uh like doing phone calls and stuff just because of the time difference for me three hours behind them Mm-hmm. like i wake up and it's nearly the end of their work day <laughs> just because because that's the schedule that i tend to work on uh because i teach late classes tim tim really did a lot of work to save this nats and uh really you know not just that but the, you know adding that to the fact that he's literally going to be this will be his 10th year of scheduling this competition Ooh like and that is not a task that gets easier over time no i mean it's gotten easier because he's been he's had better programs to automate some of the processes Mm -hmm. but regardless the man does the lord's work (laughs) and we are like the the whole u.s community of cubing is indebted to this man um he's the reason that we even got nationals announced really as early as we did wow there was actually a point in time where we were like do we have to start looking at new venues? Oh, that's awful. Yeah, and that was like right around the new year. We were like, oh my God, do we actually need to do a new venue Ooh, search right now? That's so late. Wow. Yeah. That, to be fair, that's happened before. Um, 2015, <laughs> we started searching for, we, or we had to restart the search process in early January. Wow. Yeah. So it's happened before, unfortunately. Um, that was the year we had it in South Carolina. Okay, yeah, I wasn't uh, aware of, or like, I don't know, I just wasn't as as involved in cubing at that time. 
Yeah. Did you go to South Carolina Nats? I didn't. My first was 2016. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's Close funny too Worlds because 2013, but yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it's really funny too to me because, um, like everyone, so many people that went to that national say it was their favorite one. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause it was so close to the beach. Like it was a great venue, um, lots of fun stuff to do outside of cubing. So I get so many comments about that nationals is like, oh man, that one was so much fun. And yeah, it's, it's just interesting that like, when you think about it, that like we literally threw that together at the last minute and for many people, it's their favorite. Yeah. I mean, a lot <laughs> goes in, like you can plan all you want, but you can't like, exp- like you can't. The experience of the competition has a, a lot to do with other things often, as long as the competition is competently, like, to some extent, put together. Exactly, yeah. But just a reminder that uh, this year's Nats could also turn out to be a lot of people's favorites, so who knows? <laughs> we'll hope. Hubert2215 on Reddit asked, What are comps like on the West Coast? And this was in the context of describing... Uh, basically, like how going to competitions on the East Coast, like who's going to win every event and stuff is fairly predictable and who's going to be on podiums. Um, right. He was wondering if it was the same on the West Coast. And I think that the answer to this varies a lot depending on where on the West Coast you are. Yeah. But I can say here in Southern California. Max uh, Park. Max yeah, Park. Yeah, Max no. Park. It is extremely <laughs> easy to predict results for every event that Max competes in. Uh, and then the other events are kind of a toss up. <laughs> yeah. Sounds accurate. How, how are things in, uh, the, the, the PDX? What in, in the, in the, in the Northern half of the West coast? Yeah. I don't know what, what is PDX again? You explained this to me once. Is that the airport oh, in Portland? Yeah. It's the airport code of Portland. Right. Okay. <laughs> the, the PNW, that's what I was going for. Yeah. Pacific Northwest. That's what you were trying to go yeah. for. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The Northwest is really weird because when I got here, I was like podiuming in weird things because <laughs> like, just nobody did them. Okay. <laughs> like I used to get like square one podium every time we did square one out here. Huh. <laughs> and now there's so many people who are like like full CSP on square one out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that escalated quickly. Um, I think that... It's funny because I like I'm trying to think of what other events that I just had random podiums in when I moved out here. Square one's the first one that comes to mind. I used to win blind a lot out here, but then Max Hilliard happened. Max Hilliard <laughs> is a force. <laughs> yeah, but like legitimately, I was like the only person who was halfway decent at blind events when I moved out here. Other than like Nick Vu, but he kind of was retired by the time I moved out here from cubing. Mm-hmm. Um. I used to win Skew every time. Not anymore. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of events I just used to podium and consistently or even win consistently out here that I just don't even have a chance in anymore. But is it, like, the same people now who are always winning? Or does it? Is there some variance? It's just, ever, like, there are multiple people who are better than you now. So, Max Shaw is kind of taking over up here. But okay. for a long time, I'd say that it's bounced around quite a bit. Like, in Square 1, Aiden Bartlett, Ben Gottschalk are pretty close to each other. Um, there's uh, the the young kiddos out here. We have um, Asher Kimajirik, who's, like, really good at 3x3 three three and is small. Max Shaw, of course, is small and good at <laughs> things. Um, 
Samir Agarwal is really small and really good at things. <laughs> uh, Aiden Lee is slightly less small than the other three and is mm-hmm. really good at things. I actually don't know. He might be the same age. He's just taller. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so you've got a you got a community that's going to be like it's already a lot of really good cubers in there. I recognize a lot of those names, and they are, they're yeah. all still growing up, and they're going to get real good. Yeah, if it's they stick insane. with it, that is. Right, because and it's funny just to think that when I moved here, like this community was nearly dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I moved here, and it was like, oh, I, 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 I left Michigan, where like the only things I could podium in were clock and fewest moves, <laughs> and like maybe blindfolded if ever like tons of people triple DNF'd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I come here and I'm like, why am I podiuming at everything? This is embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, not embarrassing, but it was just kind of like, wow. Um, I, I just felt so far ahead of everybody Yeah, <laughs> because I've been doing this for so long. And I came to a community that, um, like Oregon saw or Portland saw its first competition in 2015 and Oregon as a whole had only one competition like out on the coast in 2013 Seattle was having like one, maybe two comps a year, and that was basically it for the Northwest. Oh, and a couple Eastern Washington comps too, I guess too. But like, a lot of these competitions were in remote areas. Portland didn't see one for a long time. Seattle had very few. Yeah, the the state of cubing here was very um, sporadic at best. <laughs> so. Um, it's interesting because it's evolved, it's been evolving very quickly recently, recently, and I think that among those kind of four, that those four young guys, they really pass around a lot of the podiums, and they're all really close to each other in a few events. That's cool. Yeah. Obviously, Max Hilliard kills blind every single time. Um, and Enoch, when he goes, he wins all the big blind events. But he has issues traveling to comps sometimes. Mm. So... Um, that varies a little bit, but regardless, um, I'd say compared to most parts of the country, we vary a bit in terms of who wins events. Yeah. That's, um, what, that's kind but, of what I've noticed. Yeah. Actually. But I think that's going to stabilize soon. If I, like so there will, I'm imagining that people will pull ahead of each other mm-hmm. in those spec people will have moved to specializing in certain events and they'll have like their event, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> It's it's sort of interesting. Uh, around here, there have been certain events that have, like, events kind of go in and out of having, being, like, dominated by one person. Um, mm-hmm. Like, obviously, now all the things that Max does, he just wins. But there's other events, like Square One for a while got really interesting um, with Not Kevin and, like, Thomas Vias and... Oh, yeah. There's a couple others who are doing stuff with that. Like that, that was really interesting for a little bit. Um, but I feel like that's sort of stabilized a little bit more now. Oh, and then, and, uh, Takao Hashimoto. Oh yeah. He would like pop in, you know, yeah. just, <laughs> just compete in, in square one. Uh, yeah. Then there was like, there was like a time when Max was like starting to pull ahead of everyone and everything. Um, mm-hmm. like there was times when Nathan Soria would win every event at the competition. Um, but then like slowly Max would start picking off a few events and that was a really interesting time to be around. Um, right right yeah one-handed was super competitive for a while um mm. you just there's like five of us racing down like i was i was actually actually into one-handed and winning every once in a while and then mm. max <laughs> wasn't he wasn't one of the five of us but then then he beat us all 
Um, yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, suddenly I'm good at one-handed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, then it was the same thing for, like, 4x4. Four four. You had a few people who were all, like, getting really good, and then, like, Nathan Sori was getting really good, and then, oh, it's just, oh, no, now no, there's no competition. So it's like... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's been very interesting to notice that, um, and every once yeah. in a while, an event will kind of heat up a little bit. Yeah, I have to say though, if your main goal of going to a competition is just for the podiums, then you're not going for the right reason. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's yeah, the competitions are so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, sure, like strive to do well, like specialize in a few events, and like try to really do well in those when you have them in comp. Like totally do that. Yeah, but at the same time. I think it's important to um, also realize that these are social gatherings first and competition second. Uh, And because of that, just because the same people keep winning the things all the time doesn't mean that it's not fun for everybody else. Right. Yeah, I don't think it takes anything. Like, I don't think the people winning all the time makes it less fun for anyone. No. One thing I have done, though, at competitions occasionally, um, when I uh, get the cubicle to agree to doing it... um, I get asked them for like three extra $5 uh, codes Mm -hmm. and I give them to the people with the best competition Kinch score or overall score Uh that didn't podium at something. So, so it's not just the best Kinch score of the competition. It's the best that didn't podium. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like the, you didn't excel at one particular thing, but you did very well all around without, that's winning cool. anything yeah i like that yeah yeah so it's kind of a cool way to like you know encourage people to not to like actually you know do all the events and to um be rewarded for their you know practicing so many different things yeah that's really cool yeah so and, and if you podium then you get you get the at least five dollars in cubicle bucks <laughs> um you know at least already so you know you're doing at least as, as well off as the people getting the consolation prize. Right. Um, but it's just kind of a cool way to recognize people who are well, like doing very well all around, but don't actually make it to the podium. Hey, Kit. Hey, Andrew. I start a lot of these segments by saying, hey, Kit, don't I? When I want you to talk about something, but I'm deciding to bring it up. Okay. Let me try something different. <laughs> Hey, Kit. (laughs) I heard you went to PodCon. (laughs) Why? Kit, funny that you bring that up because I did go to PodCon. (laughs) Was that better? (laughs) We should do every segment like that. So tell me about PodCon. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to tell me to tell you about PodCon? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll just keep listening. <laughs> we should just do an like an episode every once in a while where we just have like a dialogue with ourselves. We, we should just take turns. Like if one of us is sick or something, just the other person does the whole episode and we see if anyone notices. <laughs> I don't know if I could do an impression of you very well. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I'm trying to think of what but, I would do for an impression of you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kit Clement, and I'm going to show you how to solve a square one. But first, uh, <laughs> have you, you know something interesting about the square one? Uh, 
Well, uh, well, you would think that the pieces that make it up, each one has a 50% chance of uh, being on the top or the bottom, right? Well, it's not actually true. Uh, you see, kind I did an a... analysis in, uh, using R to uh, <laughs> generate a random number. Uh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Where's my bell? Um, <laughs> Where's my bell? <laughs> I'm getting a bell. Um, Wendy, bring me my bell. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, PodCon happened. <laughs> Amazingly. Um, so if you're not aware, PodCon is a podcasting convention uh, that was started by the Green Brothers uh, in late their first... One was late 2016. This is the second iteration. Oh, wait, not late. Late 2017. Late 2017. Uh, 2017 this is, the is basically late 2016. Yeah, I mean, basically. <laughs> um, I don't know what year it is anymore. Um, so in late 2017, it was like December, they did the first PodCon. This is the second iteration of it in January 2019, so a little over a year later. Um, and it was fun. Um, I, this is the first time I went actually as a podcasting creator, mm -hmm. but, um, I have to say that a lot of the sessions they do for podcasters are aimed at like, you know, certain types of podcasts, mm -hmm. um, or are too general. Yep. That I had that same exact like experience when I was going to VidCon. Yeah. Every, every I mean, once in a while you'd hit something that like really helps or at least helps a little bit, but most of the time it was... Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to do a big big event like that when there's so many different things in podcasting. Yeah, and I also feel like our podcast is a little bit niche and a very different from a typical podcast mm -hmm. in that we our audience is narrow. Like, yeah. you know, we can't have general appeal. Mm -hmm. Um unless cubing somehow makes general appeal, which I'm not banking on it. Um just wait until and... we implement the decathlon. <laughs> Wait until we get into the Olympics. Um, <laughs> the real Summer Olympics. Man, there's been a lot of in-show in references today. That's um, good. Someone needs to make a, make a graph. <laughs> totally lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, PodCon. Uh, we, we were at PodCon. And basically, I felt is that um, they had a lot of sessions that tried to talk generally about like how you would that would basically were aimed at the podcast that has mass appeal, like mm -hmm. how to expand your audience or how, um, you know, to, um, how to captivate certain viewers or like make them come back to listen to the next episode, things like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I can get some little things out of it, but, um, you know, especially like reaching out to new people, we kind of know how to do that. Well, I was, extent. I was thinking about that. I was like, do we know how to do that? Cause I was like, where do we go to find new people? Like the only way we've promoted our podcast, like once when we started it and the rest of that, the rest of any growth that's had, I feel like has been just like word of mouth. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we, we could, we could shill a little more. I don't know. Um, not that we can really shill. We don't make any money off this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Hey, if you, if, if you want to help spread the good word about the show, tell your friends. Is that, or sponsor is, us. Or sponsor us. Just, yeah, either way. Uh, just give us money. Oh, no. Is that really. what they told you to do? Um, just, just demand your listeners give you money? Not, or, like, sponsor you? 
Today's episode right. is sponsored by Reddit user. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so somewhat related um how we have like all the different like sponsors of like nationals ryan deline came to me once and was like how do i become a sponsor that's hilarious (laughs) and like he just wanted like one big banner of his face (laughs) in the venue would you was 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 there serious discussion around it like was there a chance of Um, that happening it was a little more serious than i was comfortable having (laughs) like if he if he if he just like set like a uh, several thousand dollars on the table and said kit i want my face at nationals yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you have to think about the ramifications of that <laughs> in that if you put one guy's face up on the wall you have to deal with questions of like why does this guy have his face on the wall maybe you'd have and... to like force him to incorporate first as like yeah. the ryan deline corporation <laughs> <laughs> whose purpose is to support the life of the the Ryan DeLine Foundation. And it's a, it's a charitable organization that supports the life of Ryan DeLine. And part of, and part of that is by spreading the word of Ryan DeLine by Man, this doesn't his face sound like charities places. that exist currently at all. <laughs> uh, anyway, PodCon. <laughs> Oh, that, that might have been a little too edgy. Um, <laughs> so, PodCon, as I was saying, man, I'm tangenting a lot today. Um, <laughs> this is good. I'm loving this episode. <laughs> I really hope other people do because I am, I feel like I'm all over the place. Um, with PodCon, we, um, we ended up doing more like just going to watch live shows and stuff. The only actual for creators session that we went to was about sponsorships mm-hmm. just because i was curious not that i think like that we need to actively be looking for sponsorships i don't even think we're at a size where it's really going to be worth it to us mm-hmm. but i was just curious to see like what that process looks like and kind of like what is big enough for a podcast mm-hmm. um yeah so that's um that's kind of the gist of what uh we did Cool. Uh, there but for the most part we just went to kind of go listen to live shows i was actually doing a lot of work throughout podcon um for the most part it was lauren's really into podcasts yeah like much more so than i am and i've probably made more podcasts <laughs> than listened to podcasts in the past like few months mm-hmm. if that tells you anything um unless you count like podcasts that i listened to for that lauren's like listening to in the distance which i don't really count because i'm not fully paying attention but regardless most of it was like stuff that lauren wanted to see and when it wasn't something that interested me that they were doing i just kind of like did work for research or teaching or something just kind of chilling in the audience um but no it was still a really fun time the event grew a lot from its first year they had a lot more big halls for like kind of headliner events um, they were partnered um, with, I think, is it WNYC Studios? Yeah, that's the one okay, that yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, John and Hank Green. Yeah, okay. Start, they like partnered. Well, with, so I imagine sure... they have connections. Yeah, I wanted to make sure I didn't misremember that or anything. Yeah, um, that sounds right. But yeah, they part they partnered with them, so they got a lot of the big names in that label for podcasting mm-hmm. to come. The uh, 
my brother, my brother and me were, were there again, and they, for some reason, have an enormous following. I don't understand it. Yeah, I listened to a couple episodes. I'm not a huge fan of that, but they do a lot of stuff. They, they seem like they're pretty fun people. Uh, yeah, no, no, I have nothing against them. I just don't understand <laughs> their <yeah>. popularity. <laughs> um, the, the, the thing to me is that they seem very generic, and, like, in terms of just, like, podcasters, like... With, like, the Green Brothers, like, they do a very similar podcast, um, but they have, like, a huge following before they had that podcast, too. Right, yeah. And maybe I just don't know their backstories, and maybe there's a reason they have this big following before they got into podcasting, but I just don't understand I feel like they're just kind of, like, they're, like, the old guard of podcasting, kind of. Like, they've been doing it for a long time, and they've they've built up their audience slowly through podcasting, so... Mm-hmm. there's like a whole like ethos around them like there's this there's this whole world of my brother my brother and me stuff <laughs> fair enough okay yeah so but they 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 pulled their weight like their shows were just packed whenever they had anything there so that, i mean there were definitely some big names there obviously it would have been cool if like you could like real hello internet into there <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, it's possible. Mike Hurley was there, who's uh, one of, he's a co-host with Gray on a different podcast. So you never know. Yeah, yeah you never know. <laughs> but um, that, that that sort of, I feel like the, like, people talking about, like, a very specific thing wasn't very well represented there. There weren't too many niches with just, like, sort of talky podcasts between a few ho- co-hosts or whatever. Not so much, no. And not so much, like, in terms of, like, the creator segments. They It was either very general or just a lot of sections on, like, fiction podcasts, mm-hmm. which is an interesting concept to me, and I'm not really into that much at all. I don't know if... Do you listen to any f- fiction podcasts at all, or...? Uh, I'm trying to think. I listened to... I listened to... I don't listen to it regular, regularly, um, but, like, every once in a while, I'm in the mood for... Um, it's called Spontaneation, which is... It's an improv podcast, so that's kind of along those lines. But it also has like an interview sub part where the and then they like draw from the interview to do their improv and stuff. Um, gotcha. I wouldn't call that fiction though. Yeah, no, it's not really like scripted fiction. I was into Night Vale for a while. Um, not so much. Anymore. Oh, true, Night Vale. I guess fits yeah. that mold. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I listen to. Oh, and of course, I forget all the Night Vale people were at PodCon. Of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, like, probably, like, the three big forces from what I heard was the Mabim Bam people, um, yep. the Green Brothers, and, like, the Night Vale people were, like, yeah, the main those... organizers and stuff. Yeah. Hannah Hart was also there. Okay. Who's, I think, less of a force in podcasting, but, of course, My Drunk Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Analyze this. Okay. I've, I haven't heard that one or heard of it. Yeah, it's uh, done with, I believe, her either college or high school friend who's also named Hannah. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, so it's just a, uh, basically sort of like a dubious advice podcast. Okay. (laughs) It's Um, it's a good genre. (laughs) Yeah, it seems to be a very popular podcasting genre, in fact. (laughs) Um, Makes me wonder if we should have an advice episode. Ooh, that's a good idea. Add that to the list. (laughs) I'm adding it to the list. Uh, <laughs> just one whole episode where we just answer advice um yeah <laughs> by the way i wanted to mention this before i forget um if you or any of the listeners are 
interested in listening to something where you they talk a lot about the nitty gritty of like podcast production and sponsorships and like all that stuff. Um, there's a really good episode of the podcast Upgrade where they just dedicated the whole episode to answering the questions that they always get from people about that kind of stuff and like going through a whole like podcasters tutorial. Yeah, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was released this summer sometime. That's yeah. So in case anyone out there or you are curious to learn more about that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so overall you had a good time at PodCon? Yeah, no, I think it was, it was definitely a good time. Um, I think at this point though, Lauren, I kind of chatted after and I, um, I don't know if we'll go out of our way to go back to PodCon Mm -hmm. again. Like it worked out this year and it was just like the dates were good. It was on a three day MLK weekend for me at least. Um, so made sense for us to go, but, um, at the same time, it's just kind of like a, we both kind of feel like, yeah, unless there was something big that changed about the event, we didn't really feel like there was a big reason maybe to go again. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's also in Seattle, which is very, very close. Like, it's so easy to do a weekend in Seattle from Portland. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at the same time, we may just go again because of how easy it is. But <laughs> And, you know, you get to see cool people, especially the Green Brothers. Uh, love, I love their stuff. <laughs> yeah me too it's so hard to categorize them but they're like so well thought out and inspiring people yeah and and at the same time like complete messes <laughs> <laughs> um so it's like relatable at the same time um and i yeah i just the their, their podcast while i don't listen to it regularly it's one of the few ones that like when lauren does play it i listen intently it was it was a great time. It's always a good that that's like my favorite part of PodCon always is seeing their live show. So I wanted to talk about uh, another Reddit comment that we had from DM Steffa. Not sure exactly how Dungeon know, Master maybe, Ste- Ste- Stephen A. Or DM Steppa. Ha! <laughs> ha! Uh, but anyways, um he was, uh, or, or she, or they, or whatever. It's actually, uh, uh, please address me as Dungeon Master. Uh. Okay. The Dungeon Master was curious about how to keep older cubers in the community and how to keep a friendly atmosphere despite all of the growth in this community, which is a uh, very interesting question. I think it kind of goes back to some of the topics we have especially when we were talking about Utah where it was difficult in that mm-hmm. um, culture to keep like college age kids in the community because of their other obligations. And yeah, I guess it kind of depends on how you're defining older here. Yeah. Um, if you're thinking of like college age people as older then absolutely um, like cubing clubs, having those sort of social gatherings with, you know, cause I think for, while competitions are fun, I think that when you do get to the 20s and up, um, human competitions can maybe sometimes feel like semi-juvenile. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be hard to, you know, find a core group, depending on where you are, of course. And I think it's a tricky question. It's the thing that I've noticed is that it really does help, like, in our region that Oregon State University has a Cuban club. Mm-hmm. And they basically all as a group travel to competitions together. And I think it's been nice because, you know, it's kind of a core group of people in that sort of 20s age group. 
there's like definitely like a mature like no matter even for people who are well out of their 20s there's at least a, a core group of mature people in that community that can basically relate to people of any ages more easily at least yeah I, I think the second part of the question which is like how to keep a friendly atmosphere despite growth i think the growth part of that like the growth of cubing in general is going to start keeping older cubers around more oh absolutely um just because like once it's like a bigger thing that uh you know it's as long as it's constantly growing i think there's less reason for people to become disinterested in it over time kind of so like in the past we've had a lot of things times where like you know we'd have a lot of younger kids doing it and then sure mm -hmm. like it was growing but i feel like now it's kind of at a size where the retention is a little bit better um i don't know if that's necessarily true but i my feeling generally is that just as it grows uh, the, it's also going to age up over time until we have a much wider spread than we do now. I feel like we're kind of in the early stages still of that happening. That's fair. Um, I think, though, a lot of it's kind of a cultural issue, too. Um, if you look at Europe, where, you know, the average number of days off you get in a full-time job is a lot higher, mm -hmm. and the culture is much more um, receptive to, you know, adults having their own interests and hobbies where I think that's less prevalent than in the U.S., for example. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. That we face that sort of difficulty in keeping people in their 30s and 40s that have, you know, a lot of job responsibilities or are raising families that just don't have time to be traveling on their own for these sorts of things. It's like if you don't, if, you're, if your work week is like 10 hours less or 20 hours left, you, less, you have a lot more time for a hobby. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, and... Yeah, like the at like when you I remember talking to James Malloy about um because he was like at, at the time I think like looking at, or starting up his first job or something after college and um I mentioned how like Lauren um uh, I think you know had somewhere around ten ish days start like of vacation a year starting off mm -hmm. and that was laughable like to anyone that's starting a job in europe like starting off like if you get less than 20 that's you should just not uh, take it <laughs> <laughs> and that's absurd to think that you know it takes years and many promotions just to get to that in the u.s yeah i mean yeah like i'm obviously we're not experts on like the world world economy stuff but it's like europe in general has sort of passed to the point where it's like on the top of the world whereas america and like or the u.s is kind of like still holding on to like being the top of the world economy even though it's not really anymore yeah or at least it's starting to not be mm -hmm. um but europe is like so far past that time of their prime that they've just adapted to being like you know like relative like wealthy and comfortable <laughs> yeah that's the culture there you know right yeah i'm I no mean, i'm no economist so i can't really comment on that the preciseness of any of this but um my general feeling is that there's a lot of cultural differences, too, that make this, uh, you, you know, keeping a wider age range a little bit more difficult. But with growth, I do agree that it'll become easier is with larger competitions. It's easier to find, you know, your 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 group or your where you fit in, essentially. I don't the the thing is, though, too, is that um, I think of any community, it's easiest to fit in in cubing out of any community, regardless of age. As we've mentioned on previous podcasts, like age barriers get broken down so easily in cubing competitions, which is awesome. But I mean, 
I have to admit that, like, you know, there are certain days where I come home from competitions and I'm like, I feel like I just need a giant break from, like, <laughs> seeing anybody under the age of 16. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I get that, too. The other thing, too, about um, trying to keep older cubers in the community and keeping the friendly atmosphere, um, I think that um, we have to keep celebrating personal accomplishments, which this community does an amazing job at. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when people get their first blind success and, like, you know, even if the time is, like, not comparable to what any – like, if it's not a good time that you think, you know, you still celebrate it for that person because it's a big accomplishment for them. And I don't think that we struggle with this as a community, but, you know, it's potential potentially a problem if, you know, as we grow, we lose sight of, you know, this sort of culture of celebrating accomplishments of others not necessarily because they beat people, but because they beat themselves and they achieve mm-hmm. their goals. That's what I would be wary of if, as we grow, is that if growth it comes at the expense of this sort of atmosphere and this sort of supportive group, then I don't know. I'd have to kind of see how do we tackle that. <laughs> the, the only way I could really imagine that going away mm-hmm. is if solving the Rubik's Cube itself like loses its air of... like mystery or importance or whatever because i feel like it's like when you start out solving rubik's cubes mm-hmm. it's like just solving it in the first place is such like a, an accomplishment on its own i sort mm-hmm. of feel like that sets the tone for future accomplishments and like i've never thought about it that way but that's a very good point so so i feel like in in le- like with something like running like i don't know much about like the running community and stuff but it's sort of similar to cubing you know like you have your own you have your prs and whatnot mm-hmm. um, cross country especially is like that just because mm-hmm. you know, it's not quite maybe not quite solving a rubik's cube in terms of complexity but it does take a lot of effort and work to build your body up to run long distances yeah so so i feel like having something like that sort of that that initial barrier to entry mm-hmm. is actually helpful for keeping the spirit of that throughout the rest of the activity yeah but what's interesting is that running across country doesn't have the mystery element to it where people are so unaware of it like people if you ask someone like you know how would you train to um be able to run like six miles without stopping or 10 miles without stopping or whatever you know i think most people could lay out a plan for themselves assuming Mm -hmm. they're they're capable of doing so they could probably lay out a plan for themselves about how they would train to be able to do that without yeah. looking at like without any outside assistance but i think with a cube i don't think that you could like <laughs> solving a cube has that air of mystery to it because i don't think that if you told someone like you know get good at solving the cube without any outside assistance that they, they wouldn't have a plan of how to do that yeah i i don't i don't know if the like running community though does have that exact same like every personal achievement is like celebrated in the same way like maybe some of our listeners could share some insight because I'm sure some of them are runners. But I, I I feel like just from observing, I might be completely off. But I feel like like you don't you don't like the people in those communities don't necessarily spend as much time like thinking about PRs and like and in in that same sense and having it be such a personal thing. Hmm. I don't know if I might be completely off base there, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like that I haven't noticed that as much. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what other people think. What I've definitely heard, though, when I bring up that analogy, whenever I talk to people who actually do run, I remember the one comment I did receive at one point was that, oh, no, 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 track is very competitive, like, in terms of, like, yeah. head-to-head competitiveness. 
Right. Yeah. That's that's what I, that's the vibe I've gotten as well. But cross country has less of that like head to head competitive vibe and more, but the <laughs> competing against yourself vibe. But huh. interesting. Um, I'd be curious to see what other people think because that's just kind of one opinion that I've heard. Yeah. I guess mostly I, I bring that up just to like sort of ask the 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 resource we have, which is our audience. Yeah. All right, Kit. Martin Eggdoll, this guy, you ever heard of him? Never. <laughs> we decided to dedicate an entire segment of our show to him. I'm only trembling in my pants. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's what you were trying to say, but uh, I'm, I'm leaving it in. Um <laughs> <laughs> My legs are shaking, okay? <laughs> I'm scared. Um, My nemesis status. So I googled Martin Egdal, and I found his World Chess Federation profile. Um, Whoa. He appears to have competed once at... Okay. Hvidevrd Klubmesterskab 2017 uh, in Denmark. That was the, comp- the, the, the chess competition name. In the okay. city of this is also Andrew doesn't know how to pronounce uh, Dutch, Danish. Da- that's what it is. <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew doesn't, doesn't know, how to- know how to Europe. <laughs> Andrew doesn't understand Europe. Uh, there's a column here that says W. Uh, I don't know what that stands for. There's a column that says N. I also don't know what that stands for. And RP. Uh, I'm gonna tell you what those numbers are, and we can okay. speculate. W three, uh, N three, and RP fourteen sixty eight, and this was during the FRL period of April twenty seventeen. So RP sounds like some sort of ELO ranking, or like yeah, I, I would guess that's like some kind of rating. Yeah, maybe it's like wins and not wins. I, that's what I was wondering because <laughs> everything everything in this page is in English except for like the, you know oh, the okay. names of the city and stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's another language. It's like wins and n- negatives. Negatives. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's three and three. Uh, that could be like three wins and three very good wins if the N stands for something <laughs> like that, or three wins and three not wins. I don't know. Interesting. That was a that 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 was a deep eggdoll of the day. I have yeah. to say. Yeah. Oh, by the way, he is not rated in standard chess, nor rapid chess, nor blitz chess. And he oh, does not have an online rating. Um, How is he supposed to be the sum of ranks king if he doesn't even do all the events? That's true. I'm going to look at his rating progress. <laughs> that's a link. Do, uh, the does full chess report. have a sum of ranks? The full report. Uh, there is nothing on his graph. Uh-oh. Well. <sighs> slacking. <sighs> He's not so gonna... if I just get better at chess than him, do I? <laughs> does he still nemesize me? Yeah, well, it depends on if we do the thing where we have, like, the chess world championship every other year and the Rubik's Cube world yeah. championship. <laughs> Fair enough. Incorporate chess into the WCA somehow. Wait, I, I suck at chess. Hold on. So though, it says so. online rating, not rated, and then there's, a like, a hypertext link that says get rating. I'm clicking on it. I, I'm I'm half wondering if it's going to bring me to, like, a Yelp page where I can rate him. <laughs> Uh, three out of five did not respond to emails promptly (laughs) uh no it just brought me to some other page i don't know what this is try the application hmm this feels like a bad idea (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, I just thought I'd uh, bring in a little bit of chess to the summer ranks discussion, and there you go. Okay, this is this is mildly interesting. Wait, hold on. Before you start, I have an update on the Martin Eggdoll of the day. Oh crap! I think the N is the number of games played. Oh, so he's like one three out of three games. I think. Oh wait, hold on. Oh, okay, wait, hold on. I found a, I found a key, a legend. Uh huh. Um, RP is the rating performance of an unrated player. Okay. W is points won in a tournament against rated opponents. N is the total number of games against rated opponents. So he has won three out of three despite not being a rated player himself. Well then. Just decided to like come in and be like, I don't need to be a rated player, but I can hang with the likes of you. Yeah. Proved his point, walked out. Yep. He defeated Hawkinson Bjarn. Oh, wait, no, it's Bjarn Hawkinson. Uh, Vaughn Jensen. And Ejlif Trier Hansen. Those sound like formidable opponents. Yeah, I'm sure they're they're basically like the pros. They're basically grandmasters. Basically. Sorry, I interrupted. By the way, the way I'm going to edit this is I'm going to add that at the start of your your reg of the day section. Uh, okay. <laughs> so sorry to interrupt. <laughs> That's okay. I need I needed the interruption. Um, I mean, how dare you interrupt me? Uh, <laughs> I I can stall more if you want. I, they've got another thing here. It's K for no, the no, developmental I'm I'm, coefficient. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. That sounded right up your alley, developmental co- development coefficient, uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Andrew, I want to talk to you about a regulation, mm-hmm. because this is the reg of the day. Laid on me. This reg and its sub-regulations are under 9M. Events must have at most four rounds. Ooh. And the sub-regulations define how many competitors essentially you need to have a specific number of rounds this is the regulation that gives me stress at competitions with multiple rounds of fewest moves yeah (laughs) need to get eight come on (laughs) um or 16 i don't know um so what i find interesting about this regulation is that this has remained mostly unchanged in the history of the regulations despite the size of competitions changing so when you think about this uh, regulation, you have to think about when they wrote it and what they what their intent was because they're using raw numbers of competitors, which you know as competitions scale up, these these regulations remain the same. And I'm going to verify real quick here, but like um, yeah, so they they made a minor change over time to these regulations because before it was that um, events like with up to 100 competitors must have at most three rounds Mm -hmm. but this allowed like a weird case where you could have 100 people in the first round then like four in the second round and then two in the final um and people didn't like that so they changed the wording now so that it's um like if you do that because so like if you had 100 in the first round you're eligible for two more rounds but if you only advance, say, like, six to the next round, then that's not enough for a subsequent round. Because you need eight. Right, and the limit for that is eight, yeah. Yeah. So they basically made it, like, 
that you have to check every single time to see if the next round is still valid. It's not guaranteed mm-hmm. based on the competitors in the first round. So that basically that's the only minor change they gave to this. But this regulation has existed since, you know, like 10 years ago plus. And back then, getting 100 competitors was hard. Now that happens at local competitions. And it makes me wonder if these numbers should be updated. Maybe not all of them, but, you know, I think that having two rounds should be a very minimal requirement. But I almost wonder if we should be increasing how many people it takes to have three or four rounds, especially. I think the thing that I think about is just that it seems like four rounds was supposed to be something that was reserved for major championships. It makes sense because when you have a high talent pool, you want to make sure that you have enough rounds where you can filter it down so that the scramble dependency from group to group is becomes less meaningful. But, you know, if you're doing a local competition, you have like 102 competitors in 3x3, should you really be able to do four rounds just because you have the number? Like, it's, it seems to me that that rule was placed, especially for the four rounds, as like sort of a prestige thing. Like, that prestigious competition should be allowed this privilege of having four rounds. And in, it, when you think about it in terms of a local competition... Um, unless, like, the second and third rounds are very open and allow a lot of people to advance, you have to wonder, like, do we even want local competitions to be having four rounds? Yeah, it seems like it mostly is just, like, let's give the really good people a few more chances to compete at that point. Right, and it's like there's not really a purpose to do it because it's, again, just a local competition. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, three rounds is plenty for people to get you know, many chances to break PVs or get good results or whatever. It makes me wonder if, you know, maybe that should be up to like 250 or something. So you're saying just for the four round limit? Just for the four rounds. I think it would be too limiting to really raise the three round requirement much more. Um, just because, you know, when you start a new competition in like a remote area, um, having mm-hmm. three rounds of three by three is very standard. Yeah. And I don't think that we should, you know, limit people's ability to have three rounds drastically just because they have a very small competition Mm -hmm. but one thing i might say is raise the limit for like two rounds a little bit not a ton i i'd say like around 20 would be a lot more reasonable than eight Mm, the problem i have with that that that, that, i i see the point in raising it a little bit because if you have that few competitors um you might as well just do them in one go or whatever which Mm -hmm. can be tricky if you don't have a scrambler because like all the good scramblers are competing in that event but at the same time um i don't know that's i think it could afford to go up maybe a little bit but 20 seems harsh to get to two rounds because you know if you have say 18 competitors in three by three at a comp do you really have to make that a final round yeah i guess so i don't know i just feel like it should be higher than eight eight seems too low to me yeah, at the same time, though, I think that I think that you should generally have the ability to hold two rounds with minimal restrictions. Mm-hmm, that's fair. Um, just because... And I guess thinking about, like, small events or, like, the less popular events now, it is nice to be able to have multiple rounds with fewer competitors. Yeah, especially in, like, difficult-to-scramble events. Because mm-hmm. you can have, very, like, two very small groups where they scramble for each other and then a small final... Um, where some people who get eliminated can scramble for the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And in practice, if you say, like, have 12 people signed up for clock, I think it's way, way, way easier. Because 
The problem is you're going to want to put all the good people in clock in the same group so that, like, the podium is fair for them. But I think it's way fairer to take the 12 people and do two groups of six and then just, like, take the top four for a final and probably fifth and sixth place can deal with scrambling. Um, It's also, I think, faster to do that because if you're only doing one round and have to give all the good people the same scrambles, um, that one group can take forever if you don't have good scramblers. Yeah. Um, so I would argue that we should probably not adjust um, the two-round cutoff, but three maybe, but I also think that it's nice for you know new competitions in remote areas to have the ability to, say, have three rounds of three by three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's four that I think starts to get to the borderline excessive mark. <laughs> yeah, hundred person competition doesn't seem like it needs four rounds. Yeah, and I think that maybe that maybe it should be reconsidered to be a higher number, or to you know maybe even um, now that we have a labeling of competitions as like a championship, like a national, continental, or um, world championship. Mm-hmm that maybe we should reserve four rounds only for like competitions with a championship label recognized by the WCA. Yeah. I I have another idea though. Hmm. So what if we allow competitions with four rounds at like, you know, like four competitors, uh, and then we just like hold a lot of four, four rounds of FMC competitions. I would like that. (laughs) I mean, I'm personally not opposed, but principally <laughs> opposed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think overall I'm in favor of the idea of raising the four, um, four round limit a bit. We don't. I haven't actually noticed anyone like ever trying to organize a competition with four rounds of three by three out here in Southern California. But I've seen it before on like the in like the Northeast, especially. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess I just have to wonder, like. Um, if you look at a lot of these four-round competitions, rounds three and four, I'm guessing, are very small. Yeah. And I feel like the community would be better served if, like, the time that you spent on round three would be, you know, better used on the people who you cut out of round two that could have made it. Mm-hmm. That would be my critique, is just that, um, do you really need to be farming, you know, more averages for the people who are good? Or would it be better to, like, actually give, you know, newer competitors who, you know, haven't had many chances to set official averages, you know, just another chance to set a new official average? And, you know, if you look at a lot of the competitions I run, I always try to make round two basically as long as I can for three by three. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I often aim for, like, 45 minutes, so three groups of of round two competitors. Mm Mm-hmm which is usually very close if not the like to the 75% maximum that I can advance. That's another interesting part of this is the 75% rule. Oh yeah, well, that's that's a different regulation all entirely. We oh, can't yeah. burn we'll all say, my we'll regulations out we'll Andrew. Save that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that um having four rounds at a local competition like literally unless you're doing 3 by 3 all day <laughs> which is an interesting concept actually, but Like, do you think it would be popular to do a comp where you literally did four rounds of three by three and you did advance 75% into round two and round three and then did a final? I don't know. That would be a very interesting experiment. Like, I, 
you know, assuming that we don't change the <laughs> the number yeah. you, at a local comp, you could just get a hundred people. Like I feel that there's a lot of competitors who, for the most part, care about three by three, and that's it. I mean, they do other events because yeah. they want to do more in a competition. But I wonder, you know, if especially people who are new and just are very motivated to practice three by three the most out of any event, like what would they think about a comp that was literally just four rounds of three by three with the first three rounds being maximum participation? Yeah. So it's like you have hundred people doing three by three, 75 people doing three by three, like mm. 60 or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then are you saying the final is like an actual final or yeah, the like final would be like 12 some... or something? Okay. Interesting. Um, or it could be, it could be max participation again, but you like, um, do all the groups by speed then so that the similar yeah. speeds in the previous round get the same scrambles. Yeah. So you have like a de facto or you have like a final group kind of that all yeah. gets the same. Scrambles. Exactly. Yeah. You you could still have like a de facto final. I like that. But yeah. I like that a lot. I personally would hate it yeah. um, <laughs> as a, as a competitor, but as an organizer and delegate for my area, I wonder if it would do a lot in growing the community and getting you know, people to be more involved at the event because they're actually like everybody gets a basically more like r more equal chances to compete. And it would also make it a lot more like there are a lot of people who aren't really anywhere near like the cutoffs or like the round, not cut off in the sense of cutoff, but like in the, in the sense of where the rounds get cut off mm -hmm. um, by the competitor limits. It would make it so that a lot more people are on the fringes probably because when you get up to those higher numbers, like there tends to be a lot more variance and averages and stuff, and that can make it more exciting and intense for those people who are near those boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. <gasps> wow, that was a lot of talking about one regulation. Uh, yeah. But that's, um, yeah, I'm curious to, if, if listeners, if you have any thoughts on what you think, sh how many competitors you need to have a certain number of rounds, and would you attend a competition that literally just had four rounds of three by three with maximum participation. Do you want to get into yeah. topics? <laughs> <laughs> That was a weird follow-up. So fucking weird. <laughs> I literally went on a tangent for like legitimately ten minutes, and then yeah. I did yoga. <laughs> okay. Um. um what are we gonna talk about? Uh. Okay. Yeah. Let's put these in some kind of order. <laughs>